that was a story that I used to love. In when I grew up in Memphis, we watched something that was called Fantastic Features on Saturday, and we would all sit down and, at my grandmother's house. She had the uh, television, one of the first televisions on that side of town. And we would sit there, and at 6 o'clock, there was something that came on called Fantastic Features. And we would watch the Wolfman and Frankenstein and the Mummy and the Creature from the Black Lagoon and House on Haunted Hill and all those others. And we would sit there and eat a big bowl of popcorn that my mother or grandmother made and red Kool-Aid and, and enjoy ourselves sitting there watching a monster movie. Well, there was one in particular that I want to use, uh, and you may have heard this before, but we talked about this once before, and I think it's, it's relevant that on this day that we talk about some of the issues in America that we might use this symbolism again. The, the movie was about Victor Frankenstein, and Victor Frankenstein, he made a man, as he called him, a better man. He was a deluded scientist, and he lived in, in uh, uh, Switzerland, and he got body parts, and he brought all those body parts to his laboratory, and he began to sew them together. Why? Because he was going to make a man that was better than the man that God made. He said that man got sick, man got old, and that he was going to create and build a better man than God. Well, what he put together was a monstrosity. It had translucent skin. You could see its organs. He had put two brains in it so he could be smarter. It was something that was terrible. And eventually, as the story goes, the monster took the life of its creator. The reason why I bring this up and brought this up um, on many occasions that I've spoken is because man has gotten himself into the position where he loves to play God. We love to play God and make decisions that only God can make. I know who I am. And I know this because the word of God tells me who I am. And not just that, it is the word of God that tells me where I came from. And when I go to the scriptures, I see there in the book of beginning, as God gave Moses the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, as those books of Moses, God wanted the children of Israel, before they went into the promised land, to know who they were, why they were in the mess that they were in for 40 years, and what he expected of them of in perpetuity as they went over into the new land, how they were to raise their children, and what they were to tell their children when they got up and when they walked by the way. And in essence, God says, let me give you your history. And you know what God told us? God told us that in the beginning, he, not the Big Bang Theory, not some process in our space, but in the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth. God lets me know that in the beginning, he formed man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. In essence, God wanted us to understand where we came from. God knows everything, and he knew that some point in time, man would take him out of the process, 
take creation out of the process and say that we're some type of accident and we crawled out of the primordial ooze and a one cell amoeba became a two cell and so on. A rat became a mice or a mice became a rat and it became a dog and whatever and all the way to a monkey to where we got folks going to the zoo to visit relatives. But I don't, I don't do that because I know that God created me from the dust of the earth. I know that I belong to God and I was created in his image and in his likeness. Now, when man wants to play God, we end up with something like Victor Frankenstein had. This monstrosity with bulging eyes and, and who could not stand the sight of himself. And this is what we see all over the landscape today as we watch man continuing to change those things uh, that, that we need to know if we're going to have an ordered society. You see, the devil did the perfect trifecta. As I mentioned this morning in the sermon that John said, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And we are not to love these things. The devil came and told the first and most diabolical lie. You shall not die, Eve. You won't die. God says you would die, but you, gotta, you don't trust God, Eve. You trust me. And what we have in the world today are men and women who don't trust God, but instead they trust, uh, they trust man and they trust the ways and the words and the leadership of mankind. Every generation has to decide who they're going to trust. Every generation must make that decision. Every generation must decide if they're going to walk with God or if they're going to turn away from God like many have already done. When the Apostle Paul was teaching us in the book of Romans chapter 7 and verses 8, he said something that, that had, had become prevalent in that time, especially as he was talking to the Romans Paul said, but sin, taken occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner, Paul said, of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. What Paul said is that I had all kinds of desires because I allowed myself to be drawn away, as James says, and enticed. I remember when I was a boy, and I used to go fishing with my daddy all the time. He would find some fishing hole somewhere back in the middle of a forest, in the middle uh, of, of a grove somewhere, and we would travel. He would park the car on the highway, and we would take our fishing gear, our fishing poles, and just walk through all these snake-infested places to get to some little fishing hole that he had heard about. Well, I remember he got to one place, and it was a great place because it seems as fast as we could throw the worm in, they were grabbing it, and I, we were pulling out bluegills and crappie, and we were pulling out those fish just as fast as we could put our, our uh, hooks in there. I said, Daddy, the fish are really hungry today, and he stopped me right there. He said, Nick, those fish are not hungry. I said, what? We're catching fish? He said, they're not hungry. He said, look at the water. And I looked at the water, and there were all kinds of bugs and tadpoles, all types of little deals swimming around on the water, walking on the water, all kinds of food in that water. He said, God has already fed those fish. He said, those fish are greedy. They're not hungry. They are greedy. 
They have all this food, and they see that little piece of worm on that hook. And they say, I want that too, and they go after it. And we'll take them home and fry them up and have some nice fish tonight. Why? Because they're greedy. Well, the devil wants us, every one of us, when we know that in him we live, we move, and we have our being. Every one of us know that God gives us our daily bread. He wakes us up in the morning. He takes care of us. He gives us all that we need to prosper and be sustained and to have a, a decent and good life. And even when we suffer, we know his grace is still sufficient for us. But what the devil wants to do, he wants you to take your eyes off of God and then you go and sink into the same sin as those who don't know God. Remember when Peter was out and the Lord, they were out on a boat and the Lord was walking on the water as the scriptures say. And Peter looked out on the water and said, Lord, Jesus, is that you? Jesus said, yes. He says, if that's you, if you don't mind me paraphrasing, let me come out there too. The Lord didn't talk alone. He didn't say, can you walk on the water? Uh, do you have a record of walking on the water? Did your daddy walk on the water? The Lord didn't say nothing, but come on. That's all the Lord said. Come on. Come. Yeah. Come on out here. If you're going to come, if you're big and bad enough, come on. Because I'm out here. If your faith is strong, so Peter got out there, he put his foot on the water, and he didn't sink. Put his other foot on the water, and he didn't sink. And for a minute there, Peter was walking. As long as Peter kept his eyes on the Lord, and I know that your preacher has preached this before, and you've been taught this before, and you've learned this before, but every now and then we have to go back to those little simple lessons. As long as he kept his eyes on the Lord, on the Lord, he was able to walk on that water, knowing that he wasn't a water walker, but he was walking that day because his eyes were on the Lord. And when he started looking at the environment, the wind and the waves, all that were around him, the Bible lets me know that Peter began to sink. Now all of a sudden, this old crusty fisherman who's used to being on rickety boats, who's used to putting pounds of fish onto the boat while standing and balancing on the boat, this big fisherman with huge hands and muscles that was able to do this difficult profession before all the mechanisms that we have today, all of a sudden is screaming, Lord, save me, save me. And Jesus walked up to him, pulled him up, took him back to the boat, didn't he? When the Lord got to the boat, he didn't do what we have a tendency of doing. The Lord didn't say, Peter, boy, you made, a, boy, you made an impression on me today, Peter. Oh, Peter, everybody else stayed on the boat, but you're the only one that tried it. Oh, Peter, you made an attempt, and you know sometimes to try, that, that's all it takes. No, Lord didn't say any of that foolishness. You know what the Lord said to Peter? I believe he looked him dead in his eyes and said, why did you get scared? Why did you lose your faith? Why did you sink? Why couldn't you have walked when I'm standing here? And how many times in life does the Lord ask us the same thing when we allow the world that wants to play God to put so much foolishness in our heads that we start being afraid when we and God are a majority? The apostles were on the boat on another occasion, remember? And the Lord was down in the boat sleep. Lord, 
tired. If you go back and look at the record, he had walked miles and miles and miles. He had fed people. He had preached. He had taught. The Lord was tired. He was in a physical body just like we're in. And the Bible lets me know he went down to the bottom of the boat and he's laying there trying to get a little bit of rest. And the storms came and the boat was rocking. And the apostles, the disciples, instead of saying, oh, we're, we're okay, because if there's a boat on the earth that won't sink, it's the one that's got the Lord on it. Instead, they're crying out, oh, Lord, oh, Lord. Oh, Jesus, you're going to let us drown. Carish you not that we perish. You down here sleeping, we struggling to try to keep the boat up. Jesus came up out there and woke him up, probably went down there, Jesus, 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 wake up, Jesus, Jesus, wake up, wake up, Jesus. I believe Jesus probably one eye opened his eye and looked at them and rolled them at him and walked up on the, the, the ship and said, peace, be still. Then he turned to them with the question that I believe he turns to us every time we have to face our opponent. And as I said this morning, you have an opponent you have an opponent who wants to see you lost. He can't stand you. He can't stand you because you can get something he will never have again. The Lord looked at the apostles as they're standing there, the disciples as they're standing there shaking and wet and tired and feeling totally justified for waking him up from his sleep. And the Lord said, why are you so fearful? That word fearful comes from a term which means timid. He said, why are y'all so timid? Why are you so timid? And the Lord knows what we face. He understands. He knows that people are telling you that you're on the wrong side of history, that you believe this old Bronze Age book that's antiquity and ought to be put somewhere in a museum. That you're still trying to follow morals and principles that have long since gone from the marketplace and nobody wants to follow them anymore. The Lord knew this day would come. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul said that they would come when men would not endure sound doctrine. He said they'll heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and shall be drawn into fables. And that's as Paul said 2,000 years ago that the day would come that men would close the Bibles and open the principles and doctrines of men to lead them because men want to play God, and they want to be God in your life. The Lord says, why are you so fearful? And he doesn't want us being afraid. He doesn't want us to be afraid of the devil, to be afraid of the crooked politicians, to be afraid of the individuals who have the billions of dollars to spew over the internet, all types of perversion and corruption. He doesn't want us being afraid. As a matter of fact, to every Christian in this room this morning, God never told us to run from the devil. God told us to put the devil on the run. He said, you resist the devil. You resist the devil. You resist the devil. You resist the devil. And he will flee from the Lord is not saying the devil won't be coming back. Of course he's coming back. He didn't say he wouldn't be a formidable opponent. Of course he'll be a formidable opponent. He didn't say that pleasure wasn't good in the world, that folks wouldn't enjoy pleasure. He never said that sin didn't bring pleasure. What the Lord said was your sins will find you out. 
And the wages of sin is death, that when the pleasure is all gone and you wanted your immediate gratification, he says, what it brings to you is destruction, destruction. What the Lord wants us to do is to stand and not be afraid when the devil comes after us. In the book of Ephesians chapter 6, when the apostle Paul was talking to our brothers and sisters at Ephesus, at a church that was going through all types of upheaval. As a matter of fact, recorded in the book of Acts, they let us know that much of the apostasy is going to begin in that church. And even John was told in the Revelation that they would leave their first love. So when Paul spoke to them in Ephesians chapter 6, what Paul said to them is, Be strong. How, Paul? In the Lord. And in the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might. Not in ourselves. Not in our education. Not in all that we have. The problem is we we have lost our ability to be strong in the Lord. And to let him be our strength. Even in America right now. I love our military and military men and women in this room. Thank God for you and your service. But don't you understand something? We may have the greatest army, the greatest navy, the greatest air force, the greatest marine corps. We may have the greatest coast guard, the civil air patrol, and all the other allied military groups. We've got all of these groups that are ready to defend this nation. That's not the problem. We are a superpower when it comes to the hardware and the manpower. But the problem is we've got all of this stuff to fight with. The best planes and submarines and battleships and, and aircraft carriers and soldiers and boots on the ground. We've got all of this stuff to fight with. But we have forgotten what we fight for. And that's what's destroying America right now. Because we have lost our heart, our mission our message, and the methodology of being God's people. Paul said, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. When he uses that term wiles, I'm sure here again that your fine minister has to find this over and over. What the devil is trying to do is figure out how to get in your head. Figure out your wiring, your programming. That family is too cohesive. That husband is too strong and loving. That wife is too virtuous and loyal and, and Christian. Those children are too obedient and mannerable. I got to do something about that. Oh, no, 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 no. I can't have that in this community. I'm trying to destroy this community. They're going to shine too much light. I gotta fix it. I can't have young men sitting up in church on Sunday morning. I can't have young ladies in church on Sunday morning. I can't have couples of men and women sitting beside each other showing love and concern for each other and reverence to the God in heaven. I can't stand that guy up there. I can't stand him. I gotta destroy them because they're gonna fool around and shed too much light in this world. Why do you think the Lord said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works 
and glorify the Father in heaven. Every time somebody sees you shine, see you resist, see you stand, see you speak, see you fight, see you run, see you war, good warfare. Every time you stand against the devil, he has to back down. He's a usurper. The devil is a usurper. He's a liar. He tries to take that which doesn't belong to him in the first place. And when you stand, you said, no, you're not going. Like my dad used to say, he would stand in the pulpit and draw a line and say, no, Mr. Devil, you're not going another further. It stops right here. And every man needs to say that in his house. Every woman needs to say that in her house. Every child needs to say that in their lives. No, you don't go another further. It stops right here. And that's what Paul is saying. He not only used the term stand, he used the term withstand. Because the devil's going to go. If you resist him, he's going to bag back. But he's coming back. When he figured, okay, let me try this now. Oh, that didn't work. He's going to bag back. But he's coming back. Let me try this right now. And this is why Paul used the term withstand. Every time, all of you military people know this. When you make a stand, all of you law enforcement officers know this. You make a stand. You may, you may have to stand again and again until the enemy or the opponent is defeated. When Peter stood before the Lord, the Lord sat down on that day. And he talked to Peter and the apostles. You know what he said to them? He said, one of y'all are going to betray me. As the Holy Spirit revealed it unto him, because remember, Jesus laid his power down and he operated on the third member of the Godhead. Because according to Philippians chapter 2, he stepped down. He became a man for our benefit. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. The Bible lets us know that Jesus Christ, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. So Jesus Christ, as it was revealed to him, one of them are going, one of them are going to betray one of them is going to betray you. Jesus looked at them and said, one of y'all are going to betray me. One of you is going to betray me. And then later on he told Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny me, Peter. Peter said, Lord, no, I won't. The Lord said, Peter, you're going to deny me, Peter. No, 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 Lord, I know me. I know Peter. How many of us are like this? Lord trying to tell us something. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh-uh, ain't going to happen. No, Lord, not me, not Peter, not your man, not your rock. Uh-uh, ain't happening. If you should listen to anybody who's trying to tell you something about yourself, you might want to listen to God. You might want to listen to somebody that can look in your heart, look past your reputation and see your character. Look past what you think about yourself and see who you really are. You might want to listen to him. He said, you're going to deny me, Peter. No, not happening. He said, Peter, before the rooster crow in the morning, you're going to say three times that you don't even know me. 
Now, I can imagine Peter was brokenhearted. I would be, you would be, if the Lord, the Savior, the Son of God, who you have been with for almost three years, and now he says you're going to turn your back on him. I can imagine Peter saying, uh-uh, just not going to happen. I can see him talking to himself, probably walking around. Oh, just not going to, I don't even know why he said something like that. It's just, that's just not going, that's not me. That's not going to happen. But when the pressure came, when those big, tall Roman soldiers and the soldiers of the high priest start gathering around that young man named Jesus, after he has gone in the most scary, the most frightening time in history, even though we know he was going to die, but just think how scary it is. The Lord's on his face saying, Father, do I have to take this cup with his face in the dust in his hand? Father, do I have to take this cup? So much stress that his sweat glands bled. His sweat glands bled. And sweat and blood rolled down his face. That's how much stress that young man is in, knowing that in any moment, all the pressure of the sin of mankind, human history, is going to be on his shoulder. Three times he prayed. Three times. Three times. Father, can we find another way? Father, do I have to do? Father, do you know what they're going to do to me? Father. But you know, when the time came, Jesus was a man. Jesus was a man. He stood up. I could see him wiping his face. Standing up. He looked at him coming. Where's Jesus? I'm Jesus. I'm Jesus. And they led him away. Brothers and sisters, Jesus didn't give up on us. He didn't give up on us. We sure can't give up on him. If dying for us was the most he could do, living for him is the least we can do. The least we can do is live for him. And when the time came, you keep me on time. How much? About seven. When the time came and somebody said, you were with him. Peter said, no, I wasn't. Oh, yes, you were. No, I wasn't. Yes, you were. You were with him. No, I wasn't. One little girl said, he, he was with him. He said, no, I wasn't. No, I, I don't know this dude. Somebody else said, no, 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 no. You were with him because your speech, you talk that same old broken Greek he talks. Look, and Peter, the Bible said he cursed and he swore. And can you see him meeting the eyes of Christ? And can you see the look in the Lord's eyes, probably shaking his head and looking at Peter? And the Bible says he went out and wept bitterly. You know what happened to Peter? The same thing that happens to us when we think we can win a battle we can't win, fight a battle we can't fight, make a stand we can't stand. Because Peter was depending on the power of Peter. Peter is saying, I know me. We depend too much on our own knowledge, our own strength, our own intuitiveness, and our own ability. Paul said, if you're going to win, you be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. It is when only when I turn myself over to the Lord. The man that bows before God bows before nobody else. The man that kneels to God kneels to nobody else. The man that surrenders to the Lord surrenders to nobody else. Because then you are a majority with the Lord on your side. 
Victor Frankenstein decided that he could do something better than God. He could build a man better than God. He could put something together better than God. And that's what's happening in our society right now. Folks are saying we don't like want marriage as God has created it between a man and a woman. We don't want to raise children as God has said that the government has the right to raise your children. And parents have lost the responsibility or the authority. The government has the authority to tell you how to raise your children. Let me leave you with this. Our nation plays God since 1973, 53. And this is a conservative number. At least 53 million unborn children. 53 million. Let that number roll around. 53 million unborn babies were never given the chance to live their life because the government plays God and decided they weren't human and took their life. Even though Jeremiah, God told Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed thee in the mother's womb, before you were even conceived, I knew thee. Let me leave you with this. When Cain killed Abel, God, the real God, came to him and said this to him. He said, where's your brother? He said, am I my brother's keeper? God knew what he had done. God said, your brother's blood cried out to me. Ladies and gentlemen, we've studied this our whole life. I'm John D. Berry, Jr. I'm the blood of John D. Berry, Sr. and Pearly D. Berry, going all the way back to my grandparents and great-grandparents who were members of the church. I stand here today as John D. Berry, Sr.'s blood, who has been dead for 15 years, and my mother, who's been dead since 1970. I am their blood. When that baby was killed, those 53, you didn't just kill that one baby. You killed that baby's blood. Every baby that would have been born from that baby was also killed. God said your blood, that, that Abel's blood cried out. All of Abel's lineage that would never be born cried out to God. We will never be born because Cain took our lives don't let society play God don't let man play God let's trust God and let's stand